Um, as Will mentioned, uh, my name is Joel, Joel Porter. If you don't know me, I'm one of the elders here at Emmanuel. Uh, I've been blessed with the opportunity to um, share God's word with you this morning. Um, you know, something that I was wrestling with uh, in preparing, and that was, wow, how do, how do we put this to practice? And by God's grace, it's already happened this morning. with a spirit-filled and led worship team that sang and led us in song with exactly what we needed to hear, a prophetic word from one of the singers who presented exactly what we needed to hear at that time that we needed to hear it, this sensitivity in the spirit from Pastor Will giving the announcements to say, hey, we need a minute to just dwell in this. It's almost like I don't even need to preach this morning. The scripture for today is found on page 1158, if you're using your pew Bible. Um, If you're not using the pew Bible, look for Ephesians 4. (laughs) I should have started there. But before we get into the word, let me pray for a minute. Lord God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for dwelling among us. We thank you for being more than enough of a reason for us to worship, more than enough of a reason for us to come together in fellowship, more than enough a reason for us to pray, more than enough for us to dive into your word and to to try and know you and understand you better. So, Lord, I ask that, um, Lord, I ask that you will speak what needs to be spoke this morning as you already have. If there's any notes that I have written or taken that are words of Joel Porter and not words of the Almighty, Lord, I ask that you will help me to forget them and replace them with the message that you have for us this morning. Hmm. Amen. Amen. Um, while we're in an attitude of prayer, if you are an intercessor, you know who you are. Stay in this attitude of prayer. Keep praying. God might be wanting to do something a little bit different than I had planned, so keep praying. All right, let's read some Bible. Um, so if you're looking uh, at Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 16, um, I did mention that's on page 1158 of your pew Bible, if you're using that one. I'll be reading from the NIV. If you have a different version, most of those words should line up. But this chapter is actually titled, A Walk, a walk Worthy of High Position, or The Walk in Service of the Believer. It says, as a prisoner for the Lord then, hey, remember when you're reading the letters of Paul, whenever he uses the word therefore, then, something like that, you got to look at the verses before. And the chapters before, chapter 4, talk a whole lot about what we believe and why we believe it. 
I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's, let's, let's dive into the word, and then, and then I'll give you some context here. All right. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. See what I mean? God's already been doing it this morning. <laughs> There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. Uh, that's Psalm 68, if you were wondering. Psalm 68, 18. Verse 9 goes on to say, What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up to him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Amen. Um, I'm going to actually give a little bit of an intro here, um, and I think it's important to kind of remember what Pastor Daniel has already been doing over the past few weeks and some of what he's been already talking about and preaching on. Um, and to do that, I'm actually going to steal some words uh, from an author by the name of Mark D. Roberts. Um, he's got a book that, uh, that actually Pastor, Pastor Daniel uh, loaned me, um, and it's called The Story of God Bible Commentary on Ephesians. It sounds, it sounds like a, a real, you know, um, page-turner. It actually is. Um, it's fantastic. But he says in his intro for, for this particular passage that the first three chapters of Ephesians tell the story of God's work in Christ— Chapters 1 and 2 feature a narrative of God's activity beginning before the creation of the world and centered in Jesus Christ, through whom we experience salvation, new creation, and unification. Chapter 3 focuses on God's revelation to Paul. We heard about that a lot last week, including the centrality of the church in God's plan. The narrative of chapters 1 through 3 is punctuated by two lengthy pairs, uh, prayers that you'll find in chapters 1 and chapter 3, both of which reveal more about what God has done and will do in, through, and for us. You know, worship this morning 
was exactly that. It was reminding us of who God is and what he is doing and why we praise and that it is far, far better to be in the presence of the Lord than anywhere else. The question then becomes, what do we do with that? What's the next step after we've acknowledged that, after we've comprehended that, after we have taken that all in and said, yes, we have to do something with that. And that's what chapter 4 is. The major transition of Ephesians begins in chapter 4 with a move from a narrative which is telling us the story to exhortation which is urging us and encouraging us to action. Right? Because all of this love, all of this peace that surpasses understanding, all of this salvation should cause us to want to get up on our feet and go, right? And say, hey, I've got something that I want to share with you. More on that in a few minutes. Through chapters 4 through 6, we see rich theological content. They emphasize not so much what God has done as what we should do in response to what God has done. The chapters reveal what it means to live a life worthy of the calling we have received, which is from chapter 4, verse 1. In Ephesians uh, chapters 1 through 3, we listen to the story of God who saves us in Christ. In chapters 4 through 6, we, draw, we are drawn into the story. We're not just hearing the story. We're now becoming part of that story. Not just the people for whom God has acted, but also as actors in the bigger play. We discover in detail what it means to exist for the praise of God's glory and how we might walk in the good works, and go as he's prepared us to. Amen. Um, I think it's also interesting that as we read the book of Ephesians, and even more so in chapter 4, it's an interesting format, and I'm going to tell you why it's interesting. It actually has absolutely nothing to do with the Greek in which it was written, has nothing to do with any other sound theology. It actually has everything to do with what I do for a living. For those of you who do know, those of you who don't know, um, I am not a full-time minister yet. Let's see how that goes. Um, but what I am is a technical project manager. And what I do is um, I manage and coordinate the tasks, the resources, and the people involved to get a job done. Every technical project manager, or just a project manager in general, is tasked with doing certain things. And one of the things that they're tasked with doing is building a scope of work and a plan. In that scope of work and plan, they identify the goal. What is it that we're looking to accomplish with this job? Also included in that plan are facts. What do we know today? What do we have to go on? Also in that plan is the assignment of roles, duties, and responsibilities that are pivotal to ensuring the successful completion of that plan. And then it determines how the project will be carried out and define what that successful completion actually looks like. 
And when I read Ephesians 4, I'm like, ah, it's a project plan. It tells us what we're supposed to do. Live a life worthy of calling you've been, that you've received. Be humble, be gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. That's what we're supposed to do. That's the plan. And then it states the facts. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all, through all, and in all. No matter what our role is in this project, no matter where we fit into this bigger plan, those are the things that we are unified on. Those are the facts. We can have differing opinions on other aspects. We might even look at this through different perspectives based on our role and responsibility in this plan, but it is also our role and responsibility to work together. To understand that what my role in this plan is different from Marsha's role in this plan. And you know what? We see things through a different lens. Brenda's got a role in this plan, and we see things through a different... Uh, lens. Pastor Jim has a role in this plan, and we have different experiences. We have a different responsibility, and we might see things through a different lens. So we might have differing of opinions, but when we actually sit down and talk with each other and collaborate and understand that how John sees things might be different from how uh, Corinne sees things, which might be different from everybody else, when we all come together we see how those individual facets come together to form a more beautiful gem. And that's what God is calling us to do. The gemstone are the things that we're unified on. The facets are what we're called to do and how we're supposed to work together and not butt heads. That means having grace with each other, That means entering into a conversation with a spirit of, I want to listen to learn, not to respond. (laughs) So that there's hopefully less conflict in those conversations. See, following Christ and carrying out his plan is passionate. Have any of you ever been part of a passionately charged conversation? I hear laughs and I see nods. Okay, we've been there. How often does an emotionally charged conversation lead to something constructive? Oh, I heard somebody say it doesn't. Sometimes you have to take that step back and say, all right, we're all driven by the same thing. And that is, we want to bring glory to God first and foremost, and we want to share his good news with our neighbors, right? We need to take that step back and remind ourselves that this is what we have unity on. And it's our various backgrounds and experiences and even the spiritual giftings that each one of us has that when we come together, we can say, here's how we can accomplish this. That wasn't anywhere in my notes. Hmm. But yes, 
This chapter reads very much like a project plan, and it makes me happy. Because it outlines the goal of the church. It states the facts on what we believe. It assigns the roles to the members of the body. And it defines what successful implementation looks like. So let's look at the scope of work, verses 1 through 3. As a prisoner of the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So God has chosen us in his infinite grace to be Christ's ambassadors. He's chosen us to glorify him. He's chosen us to preach the good news of his gospel. He's chosen us to be his image bearers. So we need to be reminded of that when we engage in conversation, whether it is with our peers, with our friends, with our family, with others among the body of Christ, or somebody who you've just met for the first time, is that you are an image bearer of Christ. And your primary objective is to live a life worthy of that calling. We're living that life worthy of the calling. It's a privilege. It's not something that you earned on your own. It's something that was given to you. It's an honor. The king of the universe can do whatever he wants, however he wants, whenever he wants. But he's chosen you to be a mouthpiece in this season. It's a responsibility. Being called Christ's very own is a responsibility. This just got heavy. Sorry. Um, But, yeah, being called Christ's very own is not just for you. It's for the edification of the body of Christ. It's for other people. It's for those who don't yet know Christ. It's for those who don't yet know about the salvation that comes from believing in Christ, that comes from the forgiveness that he gave sacrificially when he died for you. As I was preparing this, I was reminded of a song that uh, I have led on the worship team a handful of times, um, not so much recently, a song from Bethel called uh, No Longer Slaves. Some of you might already now be singing it in your head. But I'll I'll share with you the words. It goes like this. You unravel me with a melody. You surround me with a song of deliverance from my enemies till all my fears are gone. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. From my mother's womb, you have chosen me. Love has called my name. I've been born again into your family, your blood flows through my veins. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. And then the bridge, an anthem, declares, you split the sea so I could walk right through it. My fears are drowned in perfect love. You rescued me so I could stand and say, I am a child of God. It's a beautifully written song. It is poetic. But I feel like there's a next step 
that it misses. Kind of tongue-in-cheek, I'm reminded of um, an episode of The Office. If you've ever watched The Office, you might be thinking, um, where's he going with this? But the, the office manager, Michael Scott, um, he's in financial straits, and he storms out of his office, and he scrams, I declare bankruptcy. And then the accountant said, well, you can't just declare bankruptcy. Like, there's steps involved. Like, he's, you can't just step out and say it. And he's like, no, I declared it. See, there's steps involved to being a child of God. It's more than just declaring it. It's living it out. It's embracing it. And it's viewing it not just as a thing that I've received, but as something that I want to share with others. Not that I'm a child of God, but we are all children of God. To those who receive him, to those who believe in his name, they have the right to be called children of God. Once again, being called Christ's very own is to bring glory to the Father and to impart responsibility to being his evangelists, his ambassadors, his representatives, his image bearers, to be Christ-like, to love Christ, or to love like Christ has loved. Yes, love Christ too, but to also love like Christ has loved. That was a happy accident. This includes being humble, gentle, patient, understanding, and peaceful, just like it says in verse 2. Christians, particularly evangelicals in in America, are under a social microscope. I don't know if you've noticed that. People are watching. They're looking to see what we do as a church. They're looking to see what you do as a professing child of God. Can they see Christ in you? How well are you doing as his representative? Um, my, my wife Amanda shared with me yesterday um, that she saw an article that was posted on Instagram uh, from the Gospel Coalition. I'm not going to get into the nature of the article. I'm not going to get into what its topic was, or whether or not it was scripturally sound. But what I do want to share with you are the 177 comments from people who I would presume to be believers, who I would presume to be professing children of God, and there there was maybe one. I will give you that. There was maybe one comment that was trying to lead people towards Christ. The rest of the comments were vicious commentaries on how wrong this article was. There was no peace in those comments. There was no gentleness in those comments. Now, I can see that as a believer looking and, and, and one who's at least read this thing through once or twice— I can look at that and say, wow, here's a whole bunch of people who missed the assignment. But then, as, as my wife shared, and now my heart breaks the same way, what about the non-believer who that just happened to show up on their feed, and they clicked and looked into those comments and saw, oh, 
I want, might have wanted to learn more about what this, about, about who this Christ is or what this topic was. But if the people commenting on it are a representation of the people who believe this, then I want nothing to do with it. So I would encourage you today, first and foremost, stay out of the comments section on Instagram. That can only lead to trouble. Um, But if you are going to engage in that discourse, remember, remember the manner in which you are to live, the way that Christ has said through the Apostle Paul, live a life worthy of the calling you've received. In all that you do, in every conversation you engage in, are you being an image bearer of Christ? Let that be a reminder to you every day. Like, one of my favorite verses, and I, and, and I will admit, so I actually preached on this once before. <laughs> it was about a year ago for Pastor Daniel's uh, installation service, and I tried really hard to not just copy-paste all of my notes. But one of my favorite verses, um, which sounds an awful lot like verse 1, is First uh, Timothy, not First Timothy, um, Philippians 1, 27. Very similar. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So, whatever circumstances you might be in, whatever conversations you might be engaging in, that's what I try and remember every single day. And I tell you what, I fall short. I'm just as human as you are. So this is just as much for me. All right, but let's move on. So let's talk about the facts. I love the facts. Verses 4 through 7. Um, there are seven unities that are mentioned here. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope. When you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all, but to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. These are the essentials that we must be unified on, that we should be unified on, that we should be happy to be unified on. This is the manner in which we conduct ourselves, the walk we are called to walk. We owe it to our God. We owe it to our community. We owe it to the church body at large. We owe it to ourselves, both individually and as a smaller church body that is a part of the whole. We owe it to our friends and families. We can have diverse opinions on a number of other topics. But in order for us to bear with each other in love, as verse 3 suggests, I'm sorry, verse 2 suggests, in order for us to do that, We must agree on this. There is one God who is all-knowing, all-powerful, and ever-present, and sovereign over all. Yep, God's in control. I'm not. I love it. So much better that way. There is one Son, one Spirit, one faith, and that all believers in Christ belong to one body. 
all are united under one head, and that is Christ himself. We in America really like to compartmentalize things, and we really like to organize things into you fit there, and you fit there, and you fit there, and you fit there. Um, And I think Pastor Daniel even spoke about that a little bit uh, last week. We got to break out of those boxes. I know it sounds cliche, but it doesn't say anywhere here that, uh, at least in my translation and in, in these notes and the books that I've read on it, it doesn't say anywhere here that says, okay, be united in this unless you think that way or unless you have that kind of background or unless, no, we are all one body. And for me, and for many, that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what, I guess what makes us different is what makes us great, right? Because we learn how to work with each other. We learn how to say, hey, you know what? Will's got a gifting in the area that I'm I'm not so strong in, um, but let's see how we can work together, and that that way we complement each other, and, uh, right? I'm getting ahead of myself. (laughs) But we don't cling to anything that is temperate, or uh, that that is temporary. We cling to the Holy One who is eternal. We have the awesome privilege of being called Christ's very own, so we must continue to remind ourselves to be humble, be gentle, be patient, and understanding, and peaceful with one another. Present yourselves in such a way that others see Christ in you. If we can strive for this, then we will be in a better position to carry out the Great Commission. Matthew 28 says, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. That's what, that's what Emmanuel's mission statement is based on and the vision that we're going to be talking about in the coming weeks to serve Wilmington and its vicinity by sharing the love of Christ, his gospel, and teaching others to follow him. See, this is all important. In order for that plan to be successful, the plan that God has for Wilmington, for its people, for us, for his kingdom overall, this is what we have to do. Then we go on to look at the roles, speaking of roles and how we work together. Uh, verses 8 through 16. Let's talk first about verses 8 through 10. Because it almost seems weird to be in here, but it, there's a point. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fulfill the, uh, fill the whole universe. Excuse me. Um, what exactly does all that mean and why does it fit in this particular spot? Um, well, first off, there's some debate on what is meant by the lower earthly regions. Some scholars say that this could mean, well, just earth as it relates to heaven. So heaven is above, we are not. Um, So when Christ came to earth, he descended to earth. Okay, there are still other scholars who suggest, oh, well, that actually means um, not just uh, 
oop, just lost my spot. Um, it could just mean the, it could also mean the grave that he descended into the grave, right? Because he died on the cross prior to his resurrection. Um, it could also mean hell itself, where he battled with Satan for three days prior to his resurrection. However, we want to interpret it. The point remains the same. It doesn't change the fact that Christ descended to earth and faced death to glorify the Father, make good on his promises, and rescue people. Remember that thing that we're supposed to be unified on? It's this right here. His ascension was necessary, as, uh, as he says in chap- uh, John chapters 14 and 15, his ascension departing was necessary so that he could send the Holy Spirit. Sending the Holy Spirit did what? Right here in verses 11 to give us the roles and responsibilities to impart the gifts to be the advocate. To fully comprehend what Paul is saying in these next verses, 11 through 16, we actually have to look back at one of his other Letters, And I'm going to take us back real quick to 1 Corinthians 12. You don't have to turn with me there. Um, We're just going to be there for a couple minutes, and I'm just going to read. Um, So I'm going to be reading 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 11, but then also 27, uh, verses 27 through the beginning of chapter 14. Remember, we can't be confined by chapters, chapter numbers when we're reading the letters of Paul. We have to look at the whole picture. This is what it says, starting in verse 27, I'm sorry, starting in verses uh, 4 through 11. These are the different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit. This, by the way, aligns very nicely with what we were reading in Ephesians. Um, There are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Right? This isn't for you. Yes, I'm giving you this gift, but it's not solely for you. It is primarily for the benefit of the church at large, the body of Christ, those who—everybody, right? To one, there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, uh, gifts of healing by the same Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And still, to another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and same Spirit, and he gives them to each one just as he determines. That's not to say that, well, somebody else has been given the Spirit of wisdom, so I don't have to be wise. I can make bad decisions, and it's okay, because somebody else is going to be wise for me. Not at all. It's that next level wisdom. It's the next level, the, the next level um, knowledge. Uh, that's not to say that when you are praying for somebody who is sick, that 
they won't be healed because, well, uh, somebody else has the gift of healing. No. The Holy Spirit can choose to work however he chooses to work, whenever he chooses to work, with whoever he chooses to work. I, I don't know that, I've ne- that I necessarily have a gift of healing. However, this one time when I was on a missions trip in Peru, I prayed for somebody who was hard of seeing and he could see. God chose to work healing in that moment at that time. So that doesn't mean that you may not have the gift of prophecy or you may not have the gift of healing or you may not have the gift of wisdom. God will use it as he needs if you are willing, if you are making yourself available, if you are willing to step out and say, oh, just as, as Will suggested this morning, and say, can I pray for you? Thank you for doing that. He didn't even know that this was what I was going to be preaching on today, and yet there it happened. See, isn't that the working of the Holy Spirit, though? Aligning these things to prove the point, to prove that he is sovereign, that all of this is part of his plan? All right, we got to keep moving. Paul goes on to say in verses 27 and on, Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And the church of God has appointed first of all apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then workers of miracles, also those having gifts of healing, those able to help others, those with gifts of administration, and those speaking in different kinds of tongues. Yes, each and every one of these are gifts that, that you have, that you possess, that can be used for the furthering of God's ministry, even at this church. Yeah, the gift of administration doesn't mean that you're just going to be a good administrator at your work. You may not have given a a second thought to maybe children's ministry, but somebody still needs to manage it. You may say, I don't have a musical bone in my body, but that doesn't mean you can't help manage the worship team, right? So if you've got that gift of administration, I want to know. (laughs) He goes on to say, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret? The implication here is no. But then he says, and this is what I love, but eagerly desire the greater gifts. So strive for them. And now I will show you the most excellent way. Once again, I got to thank my wife for this one because we were talking about this yesterday and she said, you know what? I've heard way too many teachings, whether it was on a podcast or in an article or another preacher that we had a, a, or that she's heard a recording of, who just stops right at verse 30 and says, yep, stay in your lane. Hmm. But that's not at all what Paul is saying. He says, and now I will show you the most excellent way, which means we have to keep reading right into everybody's favorite wedding scripture. 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. 
See, right there in those first three verses, he's recalled every single one of the spiritual gifts that he mentioned in chapter 12 and says, this all must be done with love. And sometimes I feel like that's, that's a part that we just sometimes miss, especially in the Instagram comment section. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Oh, wait. Here's another spot where we often hear it end. Usually at the wedding, we end with, love never fails, right? And don't get me wrong. These are great words. (laughs) Great words for a wedding. Great words for your relationship. Even greater words for your work with the body of Christ. Because it goes on to say, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. Implying that you still need to do all of those things from that perspective, from that attitude of love. Love for Christ. Love for one another. Paul goes on to talk about when he was a child, he acted like a child. I thought like a child, reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. But now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully. And these three remain, faith, hope, and love. Greatest of these is love. Without that love, all of this is only going to get us halfway. If that, we need that love to work together. We need that love to look past the things that I am personally passionate about and focus instead on the things that the church should be passionate about. Those of you who may or may not know me, I really love music. It is something that I am passionate about. And if I could just lead worship and just praise day in, day out, until my voice gives out and my fingers break off, I would. But we need times of learning, too. We need times of fellowship, too. We need times of evangelism, too. It all has to work together. In chapter 14, I'll just paraphrase here a little bit, he gets into what happens when you use a spiritual gift for selfish reasons. He says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts. It's a good thing. Desire these things, especially, oh, he says, especially a gift of prophecy for anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. But everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. Verse 4 brings it all together. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself but he who prophesies edifies the church. Yes, have that heavenly prayer language. Use it. But understand the motive behind it. 
Paul goes in to instruct and uh, later on and says, hey, if you're going to use the gift of tongues, well, you've got to have somebody who's got the gift of interpretation of tongues. That way it edifies the church. That's what he's looking for. He's going right back to what we need to be focusing on in Ephesians 4, and that is the unity in love with everybody's unique gifts working together to accomplish what God has called us to do. And then we get back into the final verses of Ephesians 4 as the worship team uh, comes up. All of this was said and all of this was designed to prepare God's people for works of service, verse 12, so that the body of Christ may be built up. He charges us to reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Part of that spiritual maturity is knowing what your gifting is, but also knowing the gifting of others, because we must work together. I would be very concerned if one person had all of the gifts, because where's the accountability? If somebody had the gift of prophecy, I think there should be another person. Well, this, now we're getting into what I think. Somebody's got to be grounded in strict Scripture. Somebody's got to be hearing from the Holy Spirit, and they have to work together. Because if what you're hearing from the Holy Spirit doesn't align with Scripture, was it the Holy Spirit or was it you? That sounded kind of blunt. I apologize if that's the way it came across. I was thinking, what is a good example of that, a real-world example? There's both a real-world example and a biblical example. Um, but one that I can give is, is years ago I worked in a, um, for a company that sold motorsports apparel, motorcycling stuff. And there was a company that, that made really, really nice suits just for racing on the track and gloves designed with one purpose in mind, and that was to protect the rider if they had an unplanned dismount from their motorcycle. And the question was asked when a rep was, at the comp- was, was talking with us, like, well, why don't you make boots too, right? Feet have to, be, have to be protected. And he said, and I'll never forget this. He said, you know, we looked at our technology and what we did well. And we looked at the other race suits and gloves on the market and said, you know what? We can improve upon that. So we're going to focus on what we do well. But when we looked at the footwear, we said, you know what? There's technology out there that we can't improve upon. So let's let the boot manufacturers do what they do well. And we'll focus on what we do well. And we'll look to see how both of them work together. So first of all, dude, you're a salesman. (laughs) you're a company that's out there to make money shouldn't you want to be doing that wherever you can but for him to be even the company itself to be humble enough to say there are other companies that will do this better and we would much rather the rider be safe than us make more money so if we can't do that with the product we're not going to do it We're going to focus on what we do best, and we're going to let them focus on what they do best, and we're going to show you how they work together. 
There, there's a much more spiritual uh, <laughs> uh, and biblical example of that in Acts chapter 18. Um, you don't need to turn there, and I'm just going to paraphrase, but this is um, about the evangelist by the name of Apollos. who traveled to Ephesus. Well, he was knowledgeable, and he was a great evangelist, but the teachers, Priscilla and Aquila, said, hey, he doesn't quite have the whole story. So they invited him into his home and took him under his wing and taught him. And then it goes on to say that he went back out and became that much greater of an evangelist. If you have the gift of evangelism, that is awesome. Exercise that gift. If you have the gift of teaching, awesome. Exercise that gift. The two of you should work together. As a church body and as Christians, we should be thinking, if I'm going to go out and preach Christ and preach the good news on the street corner or to my neighbor, whatever that evangelism looks like, I need to make sure that it is right. I need to make sure that it is exactly what God has intended. Because I don't want to lead anybody astray. Even if my intentions are good, that could still happen, right? So, find yourself a teacher. And hey, if you're a teacher, find yourself an evangelist because then you might actually learn how to step out of your little classroom setting and maybe be given a microphone and stand up in front of people. So as we come to a close, um, be encouraged. Be encouraged that God has given you gifts, that he has given you passions, that he has given you a part to play be encouraged that the gift that he has given to somebody else is not something to be jealous of. It is something to embrace and say, you know what? I'm so glad, Mark, that you have that gift. Let's see how we can work together. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you so much for this, um, this lovely picture that you've painted for us that shows us your grandeur, your power, and your majesty. And these instructions to follow so that we can share that with others. Lord, I ask that um, even during this time of worship, and even um, if anything was stirred in the hearts of your people during our special time of response and prayer earlier. Lord, I ask that if you are stirring in anybody's heart to, to step out, maybe they're hearing this message for the first time and say, I want to know who this Jesus is that I hear so much about, that we praise, that we worship, and is so great that it makes me want to sing. It makes me want to share that good news with others. Lord, if you are stirring that in somebody's spirit this morning, Lord, I ask that you will lead them to someone who can pray, whether it be up front or with their neighbor. 
Lord, if you are stirring in the hearts of still others who are maybe still trying to find their place, who are still trying to understand what your calling is for them and how they fit into this bigger plan of yours that is so much bigger than we can comprehend, that is so much grander than we could plan on our own. Lord, I ask that you will prompt those individuals to come forward and pray. Even in this time of worship, maybe we just need to spend some time on our knees saying, God, what would you have me do in this season? What is the job that you need done that I can help with? Maybe you can be praying to, your, on your, to yourself right now even. Just say, Lord, I surrender my plan to yours. Whatever I've come up with on my own, in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't matter. What matters is you. What matters is your kingdom. What matters is what Christ has done on the cross for your glory and by your grace for our benefit. Lord, I give you my will and ask that you replace it with yours. Lord, I give you the desires of my sinful heart and ask that you replace them with your desires. Lord, I ask that you will fill the people in this place, the people who are joining us online, that you will fill them with your joy and your peace that can only come from a life given to Christ.